Um, all right. Hey, welcome to Meredith Monday. And uh, we're, we're uh, going to do this thing again with Chris. Stay tuned. Okay, Chris, we're back. Long time no speak. It's been like a whole week. That's been, a, yeah, so long crazy, time, man. So crazy. Yeah. So, hey, um, we were talking about, we sort of merged by accident into a topic that's actually super Kleinian. Um, and that is his uh, book by Earth Consigned. And, uh, you know, his, he was a pedobaptist. It's always a bit of an enigma for me because I honestly, you know, I'm not trying to be facetious or anything, but I, I always say this. I, I think if I hadn't already been convinced of, of the whole uh, credo Baptist uh, idea, um, I, I feel like through reading Klein's stuff, as someone inclined toward Reformed theology, uh, no pun intended there, um, <laughs> the um, I, he would have led me to a Baptist way of understanding things. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, let's say I hadn't have touched by oath consigned. Um, just just the general sort of getting away from what we were talking about last time, that he pushes you away from that whole uh, Israel is the church reconstructionism thing. Um, right. He pushes you away from all those well-worn paths. He, he helps you to see the progressive unfolding and the discontinuity element. And so, you know, <laughs> I, I think that the, it just feels like, why is Klein not a Baptist? It's <laughs> the, the big thing. Uh, or maybe, you know, a very similar thing to Owen. Very, very similar. Like just, you know, and I know we talked about that a while back in that he, he probably... It feels like it very, very much does feel like if he kept on going, he would have he would have talked himself <laughs> out of uh, infant baptism. And um, and, and you know, again, just a lot of that leaving aside the Baptist thing for a second, just a lot of that biblical theology deeply resonates is, is something far superior to much of what was going on in the Puritan uh, that, that that age. And um, and so for me, it feels like a very solid, clear trajectory to Baptist thinking. And and I always hate the term Baptist because, you know, you get a million and one Baptists out there and and um, and, you know, you get some Baptists that not only aren't reformed, they, they aren't in any way. Well, they're basically heretics and they baptize people. So, you know, <laughs> it's just a weird way to talk about any kind of unity as a movement. But. But at least Baptistic, you know, in the sense that on that point, it seems like it feels obvious to me from reading Klein that you would keep moving in that trajectory until you get to, um, uh, you know, just the idea of now a, a spiritual community has come together and uh, certainly the credible evidence of, of belonging to that new covenant that was prophesied by Jeremiah is um, this this profession of faith, you know, and mm -hmm. um, and so it again feels like a natural thing for me. And then and then of course yeah, you read by oath consigned. Now I know he references uh, other elements in infant baptism prior to that book, but or at least in other places um, as well. Uh, but that book's a big one, and uh, it, it, it makes a big argument, and it's a good argument. I like it, and I don't even think it necessarily disagrees with anything that I would hold to as a Baptist, but. Um, but yeah, uh, do you want to you want to give us a quick uh, lowdown on what what he sort of argues for in that book? Sure. So in by oath consigned, he is still um, very much involved in his work of seeing a relationship between um, ancient Near Eastern treaties that mm -hmm. you would have encountered in, say, the Hittites, mm -hmm. um, and uh, the form of 
the covenants that that God makes with Israel, especially in the book of Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, just maybe as a quick overview, they've got um, distinct sections to them. So there's a a preamble. Mm-hmm. There's a historical prologue. Here's what I've um, here's what I've done for you in the past. Mm-hmm. Then there are stipulations. Here's what I expect you to do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a documentary clause. We're going to record this, you know, in a document. You get a copy. I get a copy. Um, there are witnesses to the the covenant making. Uh, there are sanctions if you um, if you do the covenant. Uh, here are the blessings you'll get if you violate the covenant. Here are the curses that you'll get. And then there's a ratification ceremony. And um, so in By Oath Consigned, Klein is still working in that ancient Near Eastern uh, treaty comparison uh, in seeing the you way... That, yeah. Sorry, you, you mean in relation to um, the way this is heading toward baptism or are you talking about just in the general? He, he ties it in w- with baptism definitely because yeah. of... Um, the sign itself as the, yeah. the, 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 the mediation of that, well, oath, I suppose. Hey. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, yeah. So uh, I remember him at some point, I might, I'm having little doubts though, whether I was actually reading both consigned or somewhere else here, but, but uh, again, kind of following on from where I ended off um, uh, in the last episode, uh, we were talking uh, just, just saying what I really liked about it. What, what I remember sort of being, um, just thrilled about it, actually, in many ways, because as a Baptist, I'm coming into it going, how can how can Presbyterians uh, do that? How can they presuppose the re- that their children are regenerate? You know, that Scottish Presbyterian infant baptism vibe, um, you know, where they just, you know, uh, you just go ahead and it's presumptive regeneration, literally. And... Um, and and it just bothered me. And then and then you, I know you did have some forms of like Puritan um, infant baptism, where you know, let's say for example, maybe John Owen or, or Jonathan Edwards, even a little bit later on, uh, where where they you know the Presbyterians don't like him because he weakened the idea of that presumptive regeneration. In that uh, he would simply say that you know that you were to presume that your children were not regenerate, but that they were likely to be if you would instruct them well or something along those lines. And so mm. it just kind of changed it a little bit and, uh, you know, made it much more palatable to a Baptist who feels the same way, you know, at least at that level. Um, but then Klein comes along and, and basically says, uh, it's, it's simply, uh, you know, it's an increased responsibility in a sense. I mean, this would be maybe a, a too rough of a, a way to describe what Klein was saying, but essentially the way I read it was um, once, once that sign has been, let's say with Abraham, uh, he, you know, applies the sign of circumcision to his children. Um, there, uh, they have an, inc- they have, they have an increased sense of, of duty and obligation, um, to believe. Um, and the promise is legitimately the oath is held out to them. Um, and if, if indeed they believe they would be saved. That is the promise. If they don't, th- there would be a unique mediation of wrath toward them. Um, and, and that coming from his understanding of the ancient Near Eastern thing. Am I right on that? Yeah. yeah. Um, Klein definitely wouldn't want to say, um, and I'm not saying that you were saying this, but it's easy to get the flavor of um, Moses back there. And Klein would definitely see the Abrahamic covenant as um, purely gracious and so, uh, 
when when we're talking about obligations of um, people who were circumcised in the Abrahamic covenant, it would have been to um, to worship God, to um, trust His promise, mm-hmm. things like that. Yes. Okay. Totally. Yeah. So, but the you know, if you're asking, what did the covenant sign do for the child in the mm-hmm. Abrahamic covenant? I mean, what what would clients say to that? Do you think? Not necessarily um, the new covenant, but but just uh, you know sticking to that Abrahamic covenant for now. Right, and so this gets to what you were saying about um, an increased um, what responsibility, an increased. Um, I lost the word. What word did you use? Accountability. I think you know. Okay. In, in the sense that they can't claim ignorance at any point. And mm-hmm. um, God has claimed them, you know, and and this, you know, it's obvious that they should believe in this great news that God has issued to them, so to speak. Um, and should they disbelieve, that would be an extra level of accountability and mediation of uh, of wrath toward them, as I understood it. Um, yeah, I think that's accurate. But um, so, just to tie this in with um, this ancient Near Eastern treaty concept, um, there's no there's no curse that we read about in the Abrahamic covenant. And so mm-hmm. I think Klein would say um, someone like Ishmael would be liable to the curse that Adam earned. Right. Yeah. So you don't want to, you don't want to go on with the land curses and the theocracy curses and the covenant subservient curses and all that. Uh, right. You're saying that there's just, it's almost like that increased accountability is really just what, like an increased um, uh, Adamic curse. At the end of the day, which is, is that right? Before I go? Yeah. Okay. Now, here's what I'm thinking. Just a just genuine question. Yeah. Nothing, nothing. Uh, again, I know a lot of the sounds facetious sometimes, but I just want to be honest about where I'm at. Um, the, um, it, it seems like it means nothing at all. You know what I mean? That, that, um, it, it, what I did, I just a bit of a thought experiment when I was reading through client stuff. I was mm-hmm. like, well, what if you just replace the, the covenant sign expression? just that, that expression, covenant sign, mm-hmm. um, with uh, proclamation of the promise, you know, or proclamation of the gospel or something. Um, the exact same thing, it seems, would, would come about from that. So um, certainly as you bring it through the New Testament, I see this like really coming coming into a bit of a thing. Like let's say, for example, why do we baptize infants? Um, okay, it's to... to um, to assure them that if they believe, um, they will be saved. If they don't, then, um, you know, wrath will be mediated towards them. Again, there's, there's a sort of overlap with the Abrahamic thing there. We don't want to start going into some weird uh, theocratic zone or, or uh, Mosaic covenant. Um, so it's simply the, the, the wrath that's mediated is the wrath that is essentially for everyone who doesn't believe. And the blessing is essentially for everyone who believes. So if you just say, if you replace the expression, uh, the covenant sign of baptism even, with the proclamation of the gospel, it seems like you end up with exactly the same reality. Like if someone hears the proclamation of the gospel rather than receives the covenant sign, are they not left with exactly the same outcome? You know, that, that um, you know, if they, if, they, if they believe, then they'll be saved by it. You know, God's obviously presenting this good news to them. If they believe, they'll be saved by it. If they don't, then they bear that extra accountability for having rejected that which they have heard to be true or or that they've heard or been exposed to. Um, And if that's true, if that is 
essentially the same thing, then is is that not reducing baptism to nothing at all? Was my question, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what kind of left me scratching my head, going, there must be some other thing. There must be some some uh, thing that he has in mind there. Well, I think it, it it's tied in with um, you know belonging to God's people because um, really only only people who attend a Christian worship service are going to hear that gospel proclamation, right? Right. I, well, unless you sort of evangel, you know, an evangelist is, you know, whatever. True. Yeah. And yet, and yet, in that kind of a context, you're not ex- you're not necessarily expecting anyone to be there. Whereas, you know, as a pastor, your right. congregation. And there's there's a certain expectation that your congregation will show up to hear this gospel proclamation. Okay, yeah, I'm with you. Right, and right. so you would, I, I assume, in, um, expect your children to to be there to hear that. Right. Whereas the unbelieving family that lives down the street, you you wouldn't say, "Hey, guys, you weren't at church this Sunday. What's wrong?" Right. You know, and so um, there's a necessary um, community involved in this as well. And I think that's where the, um, the sign comes in is marking off who, who belongs to God. And then once we know who belongs, then they're expected to be there to, I mean, yes. Yeah. Uh, I think I get not, what you're saying. So we're not being baptized every week, yeah. but same message as the gospel proclamation, certainly. Yeah. No, that, that make, I think that makes sense. Now, now, just hear me out, and again, okay. the, just see if, see where I'm going wrong with this analogy, though. Let's say there was a. Um, uh, I'm really keen to get my head around this. Uh, let's say there was um, a um, an event of evangelism. Okay, <laughs> just okay. to try and create a, a situation here. Let's say it had been advertised and whatnot. And you're expecting a, a, like you know what 50 people or something to arrive. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean. You know, once they walk in the door, they're they're there, right? And um, they're not down the street; they're in the room. They they've come to you. The gospel, no false advertising, that sort of thing. Let's say in this in this situation, and um, I mean, like at that point, I'm. It seems like, you know, like would I need to? It feels like if I just bring out my water pistol, kind of for example, and just sprinkle everyone <laughs> in the room, kind of thing, and just get them wet. Like I would have accomplished the same thing as. I've accomplished because now, now they're going to hear the gospel, you know, and and they've been identified as a community um, in which that's true, and the, the the all the water is said is you're about to hear the gospel, um, and, and then they can either reject it or accept it. So that's why I say it's almost like you don't even need to do the sprinkling part. You can just go go ahead and tell them directly. Um, you know, and then, and then, effectively, the same outcome is 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 um, is is going to happen um, in that situation. Now, you know, just as I put that sort of um, different scenario on the table, what am I missing there? What do you well, think? I, yeah, I think where we all agree is that um, adult converts are um, expected by the New Testament to profess faith before right. receiving that sign. So, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't want to get your water pistol out. Right, and... for the adult thing, got it. And so we've made, yeah, it seems like a, a special category there. Um, mm-hmm. All based on um, the, 
the reality of the so basically that that comes from the fact that that community is definitely connected to a community of a family of a believer is that right that's how it's working there so right. so in other words let's say um i had a whole bunch of um let's say i had a whole bunch of kids and i want to i'm going to baptize them because they aren't even though they aren't able to respond in faith or anything yet because I know that they are going to hear the gospel at some point. Is that is that is that why I'm doing it? No, I mean, again, my my understanding of uh, Klein's argument in Bioth Consigned yeah. and the one that I'm convinced by is that it's it's the principle of family authority. So, right, dad dad believes uh-huh. he's professed faith. He belongs to Jesus. Uh-huh. And so the people who are under dad's authority are also to receive that same sign to be marked off as, um, as part of this, uh, people belonging to God. Right. Okay. So it's less to do with, with the, um, the thing that the sign points to that they will be exposed to and more to do with the, 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 the marking of a community in the family. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, which is a very, it's very much based on the Abrahamic idea rather than something you derive slowly from the New Testament. So that's, that's Klein's still there, right? He's sort of building on the whole, well, look, we are coming from the Abrahamic thing, and so because it's Abraham doing it, um, we're, we're good to do it as well without any further questions. Or is, he, is there some sort of thing in the New Testament that he's pulling from there as well? So from that principle of family authority, he would then look at things like First Corinthians 7 and, you know, some other places in the New Testament the, the and holy, say, yeah, your children, the holy thing. We yeah. still have yeah. that same family authority principle at work in the New Covenant. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now, that's good. I mean, all right. Good. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's sort of like, it leaves me, you know, like, okay, I get it. And I still think <laughs> it's the best, the best argument, you know. In that it just, the reason I feel like that is it just doesn't fall into any obvious like things that I feel like I want to, you know, immediately start climbing into, you know, and mm-hmm. and just like, you know, for example, the the theonomy thing or the, the, the popery thing or anything like that, uh, the presumptive regeneration thing. It, it It's sort of like, it's all stuff that I basically agree with. Um, it's just wouldn't push to that, that nth degree. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good to get your take on that. I've been meaning to do that for a while. Um, you know, but, um, that, uh, Oath Consigned, uh, was that, was that his first book or, or one of his earlier books? It was, right? It was very early, but I believe it was his second book. Second book. Uh, Treaty and, of the Great, Treaty yeah. of the Great King would have been first. All right. Okay. And what was the critique you guys had on, I remember you and Lee talking about it for anyone that wants to go ahead and read that. Was there a, did he change some things as he went? Yes. Um, in fact, he has given his um, surviving family members instructions not to republish oh, yes. um, Bioth yeah. Consigned because he was unhappy with certain things that he said in there. For example, he talked about grace before the fall, and he was, he was you can tell he was trying to be careful about the way that he said it, but um, by the end of his life, he, he was not happy talking that way at all. Yeah. Um, right. And uh, he also, um, in that book, conflated 
the covenant of grace and the covenant of redemption. And later on, he um, separated those two out and saw them as completely distinct covenants. No kidding. Well, I, yeah. yeah, I kind of knew about the grace before the fall one. I didn't know so much about the the covenant of re- uh, redemption, covenant of grace thing. What, why did he change on that? What was? Do you know what was behind that? Um, that wasn't connected to the infant baptism thing, was it? No, um, it was just... No, he just hadn't really developed that part of his covenant theology yet. Mm-mm. The um, that's an interesting one as well, from my perspective, in terms of um, John Gill, one of my yeah, I've told you already, one of my kind of uh, guys that I, that I often refer to. He did that. He um, you know he decided to kick the um, the covenant of grace, covenant of redemption thing, and just go with one. Um, and he did it because he felt that it, the whole thing was kind of. Um, needless for a Baptist who didn't need an external, internal, um, you know, reality to a covenant of grace. He just, we just need one that, you know, everyone knows they're going to be saved. Interestingly enough, though, he did that and and fell headlong into hyper-Calvinism. Right, right. Um, because of, yeah, just the time and eternity thing. So I was just wondering if, if Klein had a angle there. Um, yeah. To, to my knowledge, he didn't, but that it's really fascinating that you bring that up because it has always struck me that the Westminster confession and catechisms contain a a very Baptist ecclesiology that way. Yeah. Um, whereas the, the 1689, um, lends itself, I think to at least what Klein is arguing for with a distinction between the covenant of grace and the covenant of redemption. So, so you mean, sometimes it seems like we ought to just swap. We ought to trade. <laughs> yeah, you mean the the Westminster Catechism or, or mm-hmm. the Confession? What does it say in the Catechism? Uh, Westminster Larger Catechism thirty one. Give me a second, I can pull it up here. That's that's crazy. Actually, that's a big point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So wow. A larger Catechism question thirty one. With whom was the covenant of grace made? Yeah. Answer, the covenant of grace was made with Christ as the second Adam and in him with all the elect as his seed. Wow. Dang. So, That's amazing. The, the question says the covenant of grace and the answer to my ears is talking about the covenant of redemption. Yes, absolutely. Well, I mean, yeah, for, and for us, it's the same thing. <laughs> so, yeah, so that, that should be our answer right there. Exactly. I actually had a professor at Westminster Seminary um, tell us that we should not be, we should not believe in the covenant of redemption. We shouldn't uh, preach it or teach it because it's not in the Westminster Confession. No way. Yeah. <laughs> what is going on with that? So, oh, there we go. I think we've settled it. Everyone should be a Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> Good talk. <laughs> Oh, man, that is interesting. I remember reading that well back. Yeah, you got it in your book, right? Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember being mind blown by that, but I almost just brushed part of it. I was like, no ways. I don't know. That's too crazy. <laughs> yeah, wow. Interesting. I'm definitely going to check out uh, check that out again. Uh, you know, another, another point. Um, from listening to this podcast, my wife is now reading your book. Oh, wow. Yeah, she was like, you know what? I'm going to get stuck in. So she's reading it now and she's loving it. Oh, she's, good. Yeah, she's uh, she's full on into the... I think like second, third chapter now, and she's, um, she's, um, yeah, she's, she loved the way you write. She, she, she told me to tell you. She's like, she's well, absolutely loving it. Yeah, so go read it, guys. Go read it if you haven't read it yet. <laughs> um, Candace's is awesome, so you know, there's that. 
Um, but cool. Well, I'm awesome. Yeah, totally. Uh, she doesn't she doesn't say that often. I remember, <laughs> I remember once I gave her a book by John MacArthur. This was back in the day. She uh-huh. she was just like, this guy's freaking sucks. <laughs> 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 oh, I was no. like, oh, sorry, man. Okay, we'll give you someone else then. You know, uh, but anyway. So hey, at least you're better than John MacArthur. There's that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about a media empire. Uh, yeah, totally. Wow. All right. Well, let's draw that to a close, man. Thanks a million, Chris. That's super helpful, just uh, for me personally. But I know, again, those who are listening, there's probably a, a far better view of of infant baptism and just you know some of the odds and ends of it. And um, um, so go and check that out. Read some more about that. Get the best view possible. Um, hey, quick question. Have you ever read uh, Richard Pratt's um, um, Defense of Infant Baptism with regard to Jeremiah 31? I remember reading that when I was in seminary, yeah. but that was so long ago now that I don't really remember his argument. Just had this big eschatological dimension to it, which I thought also, you know, might have also one of the better better arguments I've ever seen and just true, basically. And just, um, you know, it just it takes a real nuance to to sort of come back at him, I think, but, but, um, yeah, just, just, uh, again, so go read that. I always recommend that article. I think it's great. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we might come back to that later, but anyways, good, Chris. Thanks a million. Thank you, Mike. <laughs>